from Kurtco Media. This is Cars That Matter. This is Robert Ross. Welcome to another episode of Cars That Matter. I'm here with my guest, David Salvaggio. David, welcome. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me. David's the founder of Speedcore Performance Group in Grafton, Wisconsin. How are things in Wisconsin? Bright and sunny? Yeah, it's beautiful this time of year. We pay for it in the winter, but summers are <laughs> wonderful. But when you're locked away in winter, you're able to get all that good work done at the shop, aren't you? That's why we have great engineers. There's nothing else to do in the wintertime. Well, we're going to talk about some of your great engineering throughout this conversation today. You built some pretty special cars, and Speedcore is all about carbon fiber. And I want to kind of get deep into the, pardon the pun, layers of that as we dig into our conversation. It all kind of goes back, I guess to your fundamental signature at Speedcore, which I understand is basically reduce weight and increase horsepower. Yeah, and it's a good formula. People have done it for years. As you know, maybe when racing evolved, it was going from heavy metals to maybe aluminums, getting to magnesiums, and then function also becomes an aesthetic. The same thing is true with carbon fiber today. So having something like carbon fiber capabilities and manufacturing really sets us apart from the competition, but also it helps us work with the competition on making great parts and engineering special things that you couldn't necessarily do out of metal. It's a great medium to work in, and it is our signature. We have some really great craftsmen, and I'm really excited to share some of those tips and techniques with you. I'd love to learn some of the details about that and really the history of the material, but what you've done to really exploit its performance potential. You've certainly done that with some of the cars you've built, and I guess that's where you've really achieved most of your notoriety. You've built some pretty amazing machines. You've got a predilection for Mopar. (laughs) I've noticed there are quite a few Dodge Chargers in there, huh? How many of you built? We're in the 20s, 30s, something like that, you know, over the last 20 years. Good heavens. What made you fall in love? I got to tell you, was a huge Steve McQueen fan. And I love the 68 Mustang, but I love that 68 Charger too. And just seeing that as a kid, watching that on the screen, to be honest, movies really burn something in your frontal lobes and it brings out the bad guy driving the Charger. And you'll see that throughout all the movies, whether it's Vin Diesel or the bad guy, like I said, in Bullet. It's just got this persona. That's right. One thing that's amazing about it, it's got great Coke bottle design. Actually, I always call it the first wide body without it being a wide body. You're absolutely right. Whenever I see a Charger, I think of a big slab-sided bodyguard that you can't move him if he doesn't want to move. Exactly. It's a great car. I think it's a timeless car. I like to use that term where it's something that's always going to be in style and you can't recreate that today. And there's other cars, obviously, that have that same personality. But definitely, I think the Dodge Charger from 68 to 70 is going to be a timeless vehicle. And I see it more sought after today. I've noticed in your resume of projects that you do seem to have a predilection for cars built in 1970. And I guess really, when you think back on it, that was the golden age of American muscle. They were racing Boss 429 Mustangs and a Dodge Daytona 500 with the 426 Hemis. Those were brutal race cars. And it was really America at its height. It really was. And things were changing because of the high impact colors in 70. So they were trying to move these cars off the lot and what separated them from everybody else. They had Go Mango or they had Top Banana Yellow, obviously Panther Pink and just these wild colors. It's just amazing you know, the creativity that the guys had at the time, but it set that generation and it set that mood that we relive today. So if 70 is sort of the bullseye, the nucleus of performance excitement for you, tell us something about the first charge you built. I understand it's called Tantrum and man, it threw one when it came to an engine. 
Tantrum. Tantrum was a great build. And I got to tell you, we learned a lot in the execution, except speed core forward in motion. We wanted to have something timeless again. And at the time, the Hellcat really wasn't out. So we were looking for an engine, a power plant that was going to be different because the last thing you want to do is change the heart of the vehicle. You don't want to use a Chevy engine, like an LS or something. And the 5.7 Hemis that were out at the time, they were good, but they just weren't quite there yet. Right. We were working with Mercury Moraine, who's actually in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, on some projects. And they had this thing called the QC4, which was a nine liter dual overhead cam engine V8, obviously, with two 94 millimeter turbos. It's the size of a refrigerator. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> and, and it was an amazing power plant. And I was like, man, if we could fit this into the charger, this would be just something timeless. So we worked with Mercury. They had a package that we upfit. We made our own headers and all the turbo plumbing and work with them on the development. And in the end, it just turned out to be an amazing car with too much power, but it had a lot of style. We really liked it. And because of that, we were put on the map. We were honored to work with Hot Wheels to do Hot Wheels edition. Fast and Furious had it in the last movie, and it's in this movie coming up. You might see some stuff with Vin Diesel online. It's just an amazing car. What's the horsepower on that car? That one's 1650 on race gas. Wow, that's an astounding number in a world where Bugattis are scratching to top 1200, which is an astounding figure. The notion that the car in this case, which probably weighs, what, three? 3,200 pounds is able to generate that kind of power and torque. Tantrum was a little bit heavier than what I wanted. We did have carbon fiber front end on it and some other treatments, but that actually inspired us for the next car, which was Evolution. Okay. And Evolution was the next lineage in our Charger line. We wanted to do a complete carbon fiber exterior for two reasons. One, we wanted to show off our capability and the great artisans we have, but also we wanted to have it lightweight. So we were at 3,100 pounds before interior on that charger, which is pretty amazing for an 18-foot car. That's right. On the Evolution, we went with the Demon engine, which was a great power plant, as you know, in that. Which had come out recently at the time. Exactly. And our partners at Dodge helped us out with the integration of that. We went with the manual transmission, the Tremec, the 6060 that they use, which is six-speed, and then made a frame and did some pretty amazing development in the frame. We ran all of our oil lines through the frame rails in hard tube. They were on isolators with rubber grommets so they could move inside if needed. It was a dry sump system with the fuel and there was no wiring, no plumbing or anything that was external on the car. Everything ran through the frame rails. Talk about a clean build. I look at pictures of the engine compartment and it's time to just take my hat off and commend you for what has to be the cleanest engine bay I've ever seen in my life. It actually looks like it shouldn't run. (laughs) And it runs well. There's one thing to build a car that you're just going to show, but there's another thing to have that driving and the excitement and having people use it, put miles on it and let guys like you drive it and actually get your feedback or other people drive it and say, hey, what do you think about this? The best thing about this craft is, yeah, you can enjoy it, you can prove it, but you can always improve everything on the next model because there's one thing that artists do and you've probably seen this, there's always room for improvement. And this is what I think everybody's striving to. You're always trying to create the perfect thing. You're never going to do it, but it's a path that's great that we can all go to and enjoy the journey. Well, I guess that's where its name comes from, evolution, because it really is a constant series of refinements. You talked about how you were using a different engine, and it's a Dodge Demon engine, but it's putting out more power than even the hugely powerful stock Demon, which, what is that, like 800 plus horsepower? Yeah, 840 on race gas is what the Demon is, which is a great motor. So I think we were at 960, 966, somewhere in there. Is that kind of the sweet? spot for that car? In other words, it's like baby bear's porridge. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's just right. (laughs) 
I want to say a thousand is kind of the area you can live in with the demon engine. But what's really fascinating is we did a modern demon that was all carbon fiber. And what's fascinating is having the porridge be too hot, to your analogy, we were putting 14, 1500 horsepower on a stock engine. We just put turbos on it. I did all the plumbing and we were having that car on the strip. And I want to say we were running eight sixes, I think, on the drag strip with it on a modern demon. And that was all factory internal. It didn't turn into a hand grenade. No, and the tranny held, which was fascinating. That was stock. The motor was stock. The differential was stock. We're still the record holder of the world's fastest demon. No one has broken it yet. I'm excited for someone to do that so we can come back and have that friendly competition. Really, what's the limit? I don't know. These EV vehicles are going to be the future and they're going to blow the doors off the combustion. But at least we can sit back and say, hey, we had a good run with this and it's time to evolve like everybody else. It really is testament to the quality, not just of the engineering, but also the consistency and uniformity of manufacturing with top grade materials and processes that allows a company like FCA to mass produce a motor that can perform at this level. That would never have happened with a 1970s era Hemi. It was always kind of a cross your fingers and hope the thing survives the race. Very true. I think you hit the nail on the head because having that 70s car, but that 70 engine isn't that enjoyable. It's a great car to take to Dairy Queen, whatever you want to call it, but it's a terrible car to get stuck in the freeway. It's a terrible car to be going across town and it's overheating or (laughs) you're having trouble with the carburetor. What's great, and I'm sure you've seen it a thousand times, is doing a great systems integration into a vintage vehicle gives you both that comfort, enjoyability, and then gives you that style. And that style is something that can never be recreated today especially from the 60s, yes, the early 70s, but most definitely from the 50s with the amount of chrome that they used at the time and recreating that today is near to impossible. Back to the style, something that's timeless and with the modern technology, you can just make that enjoyable. Not only are you creating these one-off show cars or prototypes and leveraging the magic of the Restomod phenomenon, but you've also had a way of applying that artisanal expertise to a whole range of product offerings. And that is kind of a unique combination of talents. Yeah, I have to give credit where credit's due. And we have some amazing, talented people here at the facility. We have artisans that are in metal and metal crafting, amazing TIG welders, engineers, CAD people. What's amazing is finding that talent, just like the artisans in the carbon shop, is hard to find. And I got to be honest, I don't know what the future is going to hold for this talent. People are going to college today, fantastic. Go to be in accounting, go to be in marketing, do those things. Those are all needed. But there's a huge need today. Finding skilled tradesmen is like finding gold. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you were a company and you're like, hey, I don't have a scalable model. I need more talent. I need guys like you to help create tube frames or engineer even some stuff in CAD or make carbon fiber or go through all these things. I totally agree. It's a need and there's a lack of it today. And I believe in the future, I think that's going to pay very well to those skilled individuals. And I think they're going to be able to write their own ticket. Just now, imagine trying to find a guy that can actually rebuild and balance a sextet of Weber carburetors for a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. These are rare talents. And especially as old guys cycle out of the mix and decide they've had enough and either retire or slip on a banana peel, it's up to young guys like you to pick up the gauntlet. I'm a big believer in high schools having great autos programs and trade programs like that. That's right. Because it's going to gauge the kids' interests. It's going to actually give them a future because I think a lot of kids are going to go to school and not really know what they want to do. But imagine they have a love for cars or aerospace or whatever you're going to do.
do. And you get into carbon fiber, whether you're going to go to work for Boeing, Airbus, or whoever uh, in the aerospace world or in the automotive world, because as you know, EV vehicles are coming and carbon fiber is going to play a huge part in that because you have to make them lighter to get that longevity out of the batteries. That's right. Carbon fiber is not the future, it's the present. Back to your comment about the need for skilled artisans. I think one of the biggest fallacy is that every young person needs a college education. I would have to agree with you. And I would also say, as long as you have drive, you can accomplish anything. 90% of it is drive. Do you care? Do you have a passion for this? Are you excited to do this that day? Because there's so many people out there that make great money and are miserable. But then there's guys like us that are crazy and we work on cars and we shouldn't and we're doing things we shouldn't with the cars, but it's fun to go to work. Yeah, sure. You could have made more money working whatever in the aerospace industry, but it's like, hey, I'm going to go build this car and we're taking it on the track this weekend. And those people that are making a lot of money, they can't. Well, one of the cars that you made for a guy with a whole lot of resources is your 70 Boss 302. That's Blue Oval, man. Yeah. That's a whole different thing from a Mopar Pinastar. What attracted you to the 302? I've always loved the Mustangs, to be honest, too. I am a Mopar guy, but I have a love for especially 67, 68. And Robert Downey Jr. had this 70 Boss 302. It was in shambles. Literally, I picked it up in boxes. We were going back and forth on some design hues on it. And the lines on the car are great. So it's not so much changing that. It's just emulating what's really beautiful about the car. So we wanted to accentuate those lines of course, use some carbon fiber influence. So we went to the sketch pad. We put some sketches together with Robert. We had great mini light looking wheels that HRE put together for us in 18. There's nothing better than a mini light for that period, especially on the Boss 302. I mean, that's what it was born with. And it's timeless, right? In 10 years, you can look at that wheel and be like, it still looks good today. It's absolutely true. So working with Robert, this was the third car we were doing with him. Basically, he was very talented, very creative, and we were going through different colors. And if you look at that one, it is kind of a strange looking mustardy yellow color. I didn't think it was going to work at first because it is kind of a porcelain pastel, if you will. But by the time we tied it together with the carbon fiber and the details, it was great. And we took it to SEMA. Downey put together this great presentation in the Ford booth on the video screen. And what was really exciting was we wanted to have a beautiful outside presence and a great engine bay, but we spent a lot of time on the interior of that car. And it was the mixed materials between the leather and these pebble finish basket weave inserts and flooring. And it really tied together. And I think that car is timeless. What's under the hood? Ford worked with us and we got an Illuminator engine and a Roush supercharger. Great package. And originally we had put a six-speed manual transmission in it. And it was great. But Robert requested, he said, hey, I would rather have an automatic, to be honest, because LA traffic and driving around Malibu and all that, I totally get it. After you've done that a couple of times. It gets old. It does. Even though the clutch has the ease, It's just not as fun when you're stuck around there. So you just want a car you can get in, throw some stuff in the back, cruise around in and not have to worry. It was a great driveline, great engine package. I got to hand it to Ford. They really tidied that up nice and giving us like kind of a plug and play system. You've done some other Ford work too. I know you did an F-150 that took an award at SEMA in 2018. You've done a Mustang GT convertible. Obviously, you're no stranger to products from the Blue Oval. I kind of look at it this way. Having a car designer or builder or company, if they say, hey, everybody needs to 
come to them, that's just ego talking because what you really want to do in the car world is like going to a festival where there's 20 different bands and we're all artists and it would be great to go to a stage and see the Stones one day and go see Stevie Wonder the next day and just see all these different bands because everybody has a different outlook on things and there's things that other guys think of that I would never think of in a million years. And you go to a show and you appreciate their artistic ability or their execution or the way they did that. And you're like, my God, I never would have thought of that. But yet here's this guy or this company doing these things. And it's really setting new trends. It's just great because it does two things. It humbles you and it makes you competitive. If we do that to each other as car builders or designers or companies, even the industry just get better and better. The car culture is an amazing culture. It's just changing daily. What a charitable and positive way of looking at the business and the whole world of cars. Humility and competition. Boy, that's a great combination of attributes. I love it. I really love it. You're obviously a deep thinker, David. I want to hear about some of the technical depth as well after we take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about your world of carbon fiber and what Speedport Performance Group has done to push that art to the very edge. We'll be right back after this break. If you're like us, you're looking for a way to make stay at home a little more special. Well, we're going to let you in on our secret. Join Rob Vices to get luxury cocktail kits, toys, tools, tech, and other incredible items delivered straight to your home on a monthly basis. The value is incredible. Your first box is going to be a $400 tequila curation, and you can sign up for as little as 99 bucks a month. Use the code PODCAST, and you'll save an extra 50 bucks at sign up. So head to robvices.com to bring exciting experiences safely to your door. Remember, use the code PODCAST and go to robbvices.com. This is Robert Ross with Cars That Matter. I'm back with my guest, David Salvaggio, founder of Speedcore Performance Group. Speedcore is all about carbon fiber, David. Give me Carbon Fiber 101. Let's take our listeners into that magical black woven art. Yeah. <laughs> What's amazing about Carbon Fiber is the industry's evolved, especially over the last 20 years. You probably remember on the Bugattis and certain things, when they first came out, they had some kind of askew weave and they manufactured carbon and it looked okay, but it wasn't striking like carbon is today. And what was very interesting is the processes were not quite down, but they were getting the result they wanted, which was something lightweight, extremely strong, and it had a beautiful look. Today's carbon, I'm going to just classify it in four different segments, if you will. What you have are a group of individuals or uh, vehicles that you want to upfit, but you just don't have the budget. And you may see these wet layup hoods on eBay or some stuff on Craigslist or even some of the performance magazines. And it's like carbon fiber hood for your Honda Civic. And it's only $299. And then you read the little caption at the bottom. Gaps may be half inch to three inches and may fold in the sun and it may turn yellow in a day. So what you have to do is be careful because obviously every job has a budget, but there's a certain threshold you want to have. So there's stuff called wet layup and you can make fantastic wet layup parts. You'll have carbon fiber material. Guys will take different resin. That resin may be an epoxy or it could be a polyester resin. People spread carbon fiber dry into a mold or a plug and they either brush in or roll in certain resins. And the next thing you know, they let it dry the next day and they pulled it out and it looks pretty cool. And that might be as far as it goes. In my day as a 
kit. I remember a couple of neighbors trying to make weekend money by laying up motorcycle fenders and fiberglass. And it was exactly the same process long before carbon fiber had come into existence. And they looked like crap and they didn't last. And they were absolute garbage. Yeah. And if you're racing that weekend and you know you're going to crash, that's exactly the thing to use. The next approach is called infusion. So infusion is a little bit better. Instead of it being heavy resin that you're going to brush on, what you do is you have a mold. And inside that mold, you have the carbon fiber material. And you're going to put that under a vacuum bag. And you're going to drag that resin through the bag. And then the opposite end, the residual comes out. The only problem is you're not getting the best strength. Basically, the thickness of the part is as good as what the bag can crush. You're going to see that in the industry, and maybe a lot of hot rod builders are into that. Mm -hmm. And you can get some pretty good looking parts out of it, but you're never going to get the strength and you're not going to get the weight savings. So that moves us to the third category, which is autoclaving. Why a lot of people are not into autoclaving prepreg carbon fiber is because it's very expensive to do so. You have to have a facility. You have to have air conditioning all the time because when you take carbon fiber that's pre-impregnated with epoxy, it's frozen. You're literally taking it out of a freezer. You have a mold. You lay up the parts in the mold. You might do five or six layers if it was a fender, for example. As you lay that up, you have to keep the alignment of the weave all in a certain direction and it being frozen, it helps keep the structure and the weave from being askew. You've probably seen carbon and it looks like it's kind of just getting a little wavy. And that happens because the layup process wasn't quite right and the material wasn't quite right going into the mold. Looks like a pair of fishnet stockings getting stretched in each kind of direction. Yeah, exactly. After you lay up the part, you're going to vacuum bag it again. And that's going to give you around 15 pounds per square inch of pressure. But then you're going to put it into an autoclave and that's where the Big money comes in. It's a half a million bucks starting out to have a proper autoclave. That's an impressive installation. I know I had a chance to tour the Lamborghini facility where they build their Ventador monocoques. And man, you talk about space age. That is literally something out of NASA level technology. As the process goes into the autoclave, that's a vessel that is under pressure. So we're about 90 pounds per square inch and that 15 pounds per square inch from the vacuum bag. And then what happens is you're going to put it under the pressure and then add heat. You've probably seen this on certain race cars or other production cars. You have a hood and the engine's going to be hot and it just happens to be a 90 degree day. So that hood is taking a tremendous amount of heat from top and bottom A and B sides. That's right. And what happens is it's going to start to move for two reasons, expansion rates from the heat and also from the hood hinges itself, which may have a shock or a spring. And what happens is you're going to see a bulge and it's just not going to work right. So the reason why you have this heat is not only to cure the epoxy that's in the prepreg, but it's also to make sure that it's hotter than it'll ever get in the elements. We're going to post cure, say, at 350. Even a black car in Arizona, I know that hood is not going to be 350 on the top side. That's right. So I know that that shape is going to stay. And if your engine's running at 350 from the bottom side, you got a bigger problem than the hood. <laughs> you have a bigger problem. What you want is your hamburger being grilled at that's 350 right. <laughs> because that is the perfect temperature. <laughs> Amen. The fourth technique, and you may have seen this at the Lamborghini factory as well because they've kind of mastered this, is forging. And on the Aventador, and help me 
out with the model. The Huracan Performante. Performante, thank you. That car was a symphony of carbon fiber. Yes. And some fantastic, fantastic craftsmanship. Just a work of art. Beautiful car and amazing for the money. So you may have seen on the interior panels and on the wing and the splitter, that was forged carbon fiber. To best explain it, it almost looks like black marble, if you will. It does. It looks like somebody put this stuff in a meat shop and basically laid it out and gave it a perfect surface. Yeah, it's amazing. And the amount of pressure that comes from forging on the machine is unbelievable. It way superior than what the autoclave does. But again, now you have a $3 million machine. That's how much one of them costs with tooling. Is going to come down and put tons of pressure and heat and have a cooling cycle to fabricate a wing splitter, spoiler, diffuser, or whatever you want to make. But Lamborghini is very smart on this because it comes back to the blacksmith method. Are you going to pay an artisan once a day, whatever it is, eight hours to make that splitter? Or are you going to invest in innovation, tooling, machinery, and make that splitter in 10 minutes? And that's what they've done. Perfectly over and over and over again. And the machine does not call in hungover on Friday and <laughs> on Monday and you have a scalable model. I think between autoclaving carbon fiber and the forging process, this is what you're going to see in the future. I definitely see it. Aviation is swallowing up about 80% of the market right now. So automotive is hurting right now in a big way. You may have seen GM has had some issues not being able to produce enough carbon fiber. You also see in Ford, the GT500 that just came out, which is another fantastic machine that they just produced. They had limited sets of carbon fiber options when you ordered that. Of course, Dodge has some other things. They used to use them on the Viper. Obviously, that program is discontinued, but they also had supply chain issues on carbon fiber. So what's happening is aviation, aerospace is swallowing up all the capability. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen in the future is they're going to look for people or resources to ramp up to handle an OE style. Mm -hmm. You're going to see more carbon fiber in subframe assemblies. They're already doing that with forging. For strength and lightness. Yeah, exactly. You're going to see it more on interiors, and you're going to definitely see on exteriors because anything that can be removed, I'm going to say that EV vehicles and very efficient vehicles that are combustion are going to have to go lighter and lighter because everybody knows we're maxing out the efficiency of engines or battery life right now. That's right. You talk about the structural benefits, the integrity of carbon fiber as a structural material, all of the implications in terms of engineering and added safety that come from that. But it's a beautiful material too. And many times it's gratuitously used by everyone from Rolls-Royce to Kia for little <laughs> interior bits and pieces and carbon fiber, this and that. But that has nothing to do with its original purpose. However, all that being said, it can be one of the most beautiful surfaces and materials in the world when it's finished by art. Not to mention the fact that you can get some incredibly tight tolerances and do things with it that you can't do with the hand-shaped aluminum. You certainly can't do it with pressed steel. So it has huge aesthetic benefits as well. That's probably where Speedcore comes in with a lot of the work that you do. Tell us about some of your pieces. We are offering right now with Dodge some great pieces for the Challenger. And by the way, that Challenger, they've gotten such an amazing lifespan out of that program. They have. And it still looks fresh. It does. They did the wide body, they did the Hellcat, they did the Demon, and now they have the Superstock. That's all phenomenal. And they're killing it with the program. And it's like, oh my God, they've gotten so much out of this chassis and program. Absolutely. So we make certain parts for that. And also for the new Corvette owners, I think they were limited to about 200 carbon fiber packages on the new C8 models. So we've had a lot of inquiries and we manufacture splitters and rocker packages that are carbon fiber for that vehicle as well. 
it's been really great because even though COVID affected certain things in the industry and it definitely hurt the big three, it really hurt the timing of people ordering their baby, the Corvette. And that C8 is everybody's baby. I know more guys and gals that are excited about that car. They talk about their order. They talk about trying to get one. I think that car has generated more buzz and more stir and more excitement than any single car I can think of in the last 20 years. And it was great because it was almost like, yeah, you can have it and then you can't have it. And then everybody wants it more. Right. But they did a great job. Tom Peters was the designer of it. He did a fantastic job, I thought, with the arrow. It's not too overstated. I hate to say this, but probably the Corvette has always been the best bang for its buck. It's priced well. Serviceability is great. And it's just an amazing car. Without question. And anybody can jump into it and enjoy it. It's really true. I've always said the Corvette is the perfect car. All it bears is the stigma of low price. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to be an interesting program. And I'm sure you've got a lot of design embellishments and carbon fiber that are going to follow that car over the next few years as it continues to evolve and add more power and more performance. Yes. And as they come out with the next models, the Z06s and the Grand Sports, they're doing hybrid as well, as you know. Right. We have some great parts that are going to come out for that as well. We're working with GM currently on making that happen. So we're excited about it and we're excited about the future because we know that even though the economy may be good or bad, there's crazy people like us that are always going to spend money on cars, no matter what happens. Even look at the Great Depression, car racing and everything like that still evolved afterwards. People were still doing it. And certain companies, maybe like Duesenberg or Pierce, yeah, they failed maybe after that, but it was years after. That's right. It wasn't a result of it. Looking at that, looking at racing history and just looking at competition, there's always going to be something for us in carbon fiber and performance. David, we're going to take a break, but we'll be right back in a moment. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old, and today I felt like I'm magic read extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being it's questioned. It's going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies. Wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in front of you. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkco.com/slash a moment of your time. We're back with David Salvaggio of Speedcore Performance Group changing lanes for a minute and going from a mass-produced car like the upcoming C8 Corvette and talking about something a little more retro and hand-built. You're working on a project with classic recreations now, the people who make the Shelby continuation cars. Correct. They have a great model and just a timeless car as well. That 67 GT500 CR that they have, I think is something that people saw, whether it was in a movie or a reflection on Shelby, and it's just another timeless piece. What we're doing with them is giving them a scalable model as well. And I always go back to the blacksmith theory. If you're going to have a 67 Mustang, we all know they were great cars back in the day. It didn't take long for them to rust out. The panel gaps again were, hey, I can stick my finger between the door and the fender on this side and the other side was rubbing. <laughs> and that's just the way the cars were. That's right. So now working with them, we've given them a scalable model where they can now have a full carbon fiber body with perfect panel gaps, lightweight, resistant to corrosion, won't dent, 
and it's repeatable. Instead of we have a shop, let's bring the car in. Okay, let's replace the quarter panels and the roof in metal. And then we're going to bolt this on and then we're going to grind it and we're going to weld up the door edges so they're tight. And then we're going to body fill it and we're going to prime it. And we're going to sand it. And we're going to prime it again. And we're going to paint it. And we're going to clear coat it. And we're going to wet sand it. And we're going to buff it. That's right. Let's not do that anymore. So instead of an old car with a few Dynacorn body panels hung on it or maybe a brand new metal shell, they have a chance of getting a state of the art composite body. Exactly. And it's just lightweight. All the hood gaps are the same. It's consistent because the mold never changes. We machined plugs for that. All the tolerances are perfect. We did a mock-up. Everything is turning out great. And now we've improved their systems and we want them to make money. We want to put great cars out in the space and we want to make more parts. That's the model that our business is. We want to provide great parts for people and be able to have them enjoy and have the car of their desire because it really reflects them as a person or a personality. With classic recreations, them doing that, I think is going to be amazing. And there's some other cars down the road that we're working with them on as well. I also mentioned this to the Porsche crowd. I was amazed that a 911, I think it's the GT3 RS, has that carbon fiber hood. That's right. And that's actually forged, believe it or not, in Italy. MSRP on one of those from Porsche is like 23 grand. Think about that. Beautiful work of art. But imagine we can provide you with something that you can enjoy in carbon fiber, maybe in a better budget, but with the same craftsmanship. Or have like gurney flares or spoiler and things like that. So there's different models that people can use. What I'm saying is we're all in this business together, whether you build hot rods, classics, antiques. So it's great to share these resources that we have. And it's great to be like, hey, I'm good at this. Maybe I'm not as good as that, but let's share our resources and everybody be successful because we all know there's enough buyers out there in the marketplace. No question about it. The 911 fraternity is a hugely active and enthusiastic group. I've got a GT3 myself. It's got a steel hood because it's a touring. It's not an RS, but I know that among the enthusiasts of some of the older 911s, all you have to do is look at the singer and understand that they're able to sell an $800,000 composite body 911. And it would seem that there are some opportunities for companies like yours to really prevail in that kind of landscape because the 911 is just such an evergreen design and can so easily benefit from what are literally bolt-on parts like front fenders, doors, hoods, the components that would actually make that car sing. Maybe some carbon fiber mini lights <laughs> could be an interesting project. Maybe we see a Speedcore 911 at SEMA sometime soon. Oh, that'd be amazing. By the way, I love the Singer Porsches. I got to tell you, that is such a classic, timeless design. They've nailed it. And what's phenomenal is they have just a great model. But one thing I like that they do is they take some of their carbon fiber and they chrome it. That's right. So you may not realize it, but the headlight trim rings and certain pieces. Right, the bumper ends. Yeah, so they're taking carbon fiber, they're chroming it, and it's got a great brushed nickel finish or a milky nickel and all these different ranges. It looks phenomenal. They nailed it. You were talking earlier about getting young people involved in the artisanal crafts, in this case, fabrication and layup of your carbon fiber components. Clearly, it's a generational thing. You go to Bentley Crew Factory or Goodwood Rolls-Royce or Morgan and Melvin Link, and you see sometimes grandpa and son and grandson working together. Really, truly a generational thing. What are your experiences, not only personally, 
but how do you think that's going to play going forward? My lineage is both sides of my family came from Sicily. And my grandfather on my mom's side came to Milwaukee of all places, directly from Sicily in, I think, 1911. Basically, it was the land of opportunity. One thing about Milwaukee is it had a lot of engineering going on, and it was kind of that hub where there's something called the Valley, and all this industry was there. Harley was uh, less than 10 years old. (laughs) Right. It was unbelievable, the amount of things. And my grandfather came here with nothing, him and his brothers. And then within eight years, they already had established a race team. They had a car that raced in the Indianapolis 500. I think in 21, they got fourth place and they started building Miller engines. Most advanced engines of the day. It was, yeah. My great uncle was the first ever to build a tube chassis for an Indy car. Tube chassis didn't exist at the time. It evolved and they made panels and they just made a great life of racing. And my grandfather found his niche was not only just in cars, but in promoting. So he leased and ran the Milwaukee Mile racetrack from 1929 to about 1970. And in that era, there was more races in Milwaukee than Indy at the time. He would always fill the stands. He would always have great seats. And the people were into auto racing at the time, whether it was IndyCars, stock cars, and people would just come from all around to see that. So growing up later, my grandfather already had lived a lifetime before I was born, but he lived with us and he raised me. So now you have all this knowledge of a guy that was born in 1899 going into me. And he taught me the craft and he taught me certain things to care about and to have a drive and to have an end game. And these are things that I think we need to teach the next generation today. As he got me interested, gave me a career, if you will, and taught me the ropes, it's up to us to train the next generation. Whether it's your son or not, or maybe it's just someone in an autos program or someone you work with, I think it's important to keep the trade and it's important to pass it down to the next generation. I have a son and it was funny, he was not into cars in high school and he just graduated and now he's into cars all the time. Every day, there's something from Amazon or some (laughs) performance store. It's great. And I think that that lineage and that passion and that car culture is something important that we need to keep going. Well, those are great thoughts. And obviously, you've done a great job, not just at home, but in inspiring a lot of people who are working with your company and all the visitors and enthusiasts that see your work at SEMA. Really a great legacy of creations and inspiration. Like you say, it's about inspiring young people to jump on the train and go for a ride. <laughs> well said. Well said. And I'll tell you what, if you're hiring retirees, maybe I'll raise my hand and come back and start by sweeping the shop floor and learning how to lay a little carbon fiber myself. I'd actually like to learn from you. Well, this has really been a fun conversation, David. I usually don't get to go so deep into the weeds about a technical field. And I've certainly learned a lot and I know our listeners have too. So I appreciate your sharing some of the secrets of your trade. Oh, my pleasure. Really want to put out there anybody that's looking for a great career, craft, or even advice, shoot us an email, give us a call, or even direction in life. You know what I mean? Just be like, hey, I want to start my own company. What can I do? What a welcoming outreach. That's a hugely generous and much appreciated gesture on your part. If people want to follow you, I know that you do a little work on Instagram and you've got a bit of a channel. Give yourself a little plug here. Speed Coral one on Instagram and Facebook. Feel free to reach out on private message or go to speedcore.com. Shoot us an email. And if you want to email me personally, it's dsalvaggio at speedcore.com. And speedcore is with a K, by the way. Love to hear feedback. And I would love to hear stories as well. 
of how maybe automobiles has changed your life and has been inspiration for you. I just love hearing those stories. And I just think it's something to pass on to other people sharing that inspiration. Well, thanks for the inspiration yourself. It's hugely appreciated. And we look forward to having you back on the show, David. I can't wait. Thanks to David Salvaggio, founder of Speedcore Performance Group in Grafton, Wisconsin, for joining us today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, sound engineering by Michael Kennedy, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross, and thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.